I mean, it's regular, it's, it's common to get people who are like, Hey, would you ever want to sell the company? So usually I would say no, but this particular point in time, I was feeling pretty stressed, burnout, depressed, anxious, all that stuff. And so I like the timing of that worked out to where I was like, eh, sure. Like let's chat and see what happens. Um, so went down that route, ended up with a few different offers. And then ultimately like a few weeks before we were supposed to close this is for a $5 million deal. I, they just ghosted us. So. Welcome to the product business podcast. This is a place where I interview bootstrappers and entrepreneurs who are selling software products online. And the goal is to help you whether you are thinking about maybe selling a product in the future, you are launching a product or you're already generating lots of revenue. I am your host, Scott Bollinger. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating or click the subscribe button. Today I have Josh Pigford from Bear Metrics with me. I'm excited to talk to him about some of the stuff he's been posting lately about failing to sell his company and um, you know some profitability numbers. They're very transparent about it. So excited to get into it. Josh, uh, thanks a lot for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Sure. Uh, so you are a pretty transparent guy and I enjoy seeing your posts on bearmetrics.com and also on Twitter. And first, let's let's just give a plug for your company. So Bear Metrics does SaaS analytics, right? That's right. Yep. So we give you sort of uh, business insights um, on a high level, and then um, on a little bit deeper level, you know, we provide some additional tools to help you grow. On top of that. Yeah, you guys have a sort of a churn. Um, it's some Dunning stuff. Um, what are a couple of other features that you guys have? Yeah, yeah. So then we have this other um, add-on tool called uh, Cancellation Insights, which kind of gives context to cancellations. Um, so reporting around that, um, and then some other things around like forecasting. And so there's there's sort of a whole suite of tools. Cool, and it's it's an incredible product. If you have SaaS analytics, based in Stripe and some other, basically anything but PayPal, you guys are doing these days, right? That's right. Yeah. PayPal is just a pain in the butt for everyone yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so. Yeah, forget those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you guys post a lot of your numbers. So I just would look, was looking on there today, and you guys are pushing 1.5 ARR. So congrats on that. That's really cool. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And it, and I noticed that it's your first fully profitable year. You posted on Twitter, which is awesome. A question I had was so so before when you guys were not profitable, so you guys were basically just growing and using investment dollars to fund that. Net well, so we've we basically would like ultimately end the year at either close to break even or just shy of um, profit. So I mean, the I guess that's some like holdover from invest. We haven't had investment investment money since two thousand. 15, I think. Um, so it's essentially just like, you know, you start the year with say a hundred thousand dollars in the bank and you end the year with like 90,000 in the bank or something like that. I mean, like, oh, okay, it's, right. it's not like, like you, there's money in the bank to operate at a little bit of a loss, which is fine right. for us. So, right. so profitable. Yes. Yeah. You guys are making money. Yeah. You're, you're making your payroll. You're not taking a bunch of investment and just blowing through sure. it. Sure. Yeah. No, not at all. Totally. So, but this, this particular year, we just like, we still did all that, but we still ended up with like 
$50,000 in profit. Yeah, which is awesome. And yeah. do you include your, everything you take out uh, and then count the profit after that as well? Or do you not right. count Right, so I'm, I'm, I'm an employee just as much as anybody else. So okay. um, yeah, I, I have a, I'm a W2 employee of Fairmetrics. I just happen to also have stock. Got it. Very cool. When you guys took investment, did you get do like an angel type thing or? Yeah. So, you know, we have two angel investors essentially, and they're, um, so the, the sort of investment mechanism here is called a safe. So they essentially bought the option. It's like they're, they have stock, but like not in the, there's no like voting shares or anything like that. Um, and their shares really only convert in the, you know, in a, in a sale or like if we did a series a or something like that, then they get sort of preferred options, um, on a future round, which in this case doesn't exist. Yeah. Very cool. What does your day to day look like now versus when you started the company? I, I know you just posted on Twitter, something about like, don't email the CEO about technical support. Um, right. So is that, is that kind of saying like you're not in the code as much as you used to be or just that you're, you have other priorities or. Yeah. So I haven't written a line of code or designed anything or built anything for Barometrics in probably three years. Um, I don't touch product past planning kind of stuff like um which is i mean like i i probably play the role more of like a product manager than anything at this point um so like i look well, so a few years ago my role would have been um probably largely um in the marketing realm um i you know i was pumping out articles every week and that kind of stuff um i still like i i stopped relatively soon after like hiring people uh i stopped coding stuff i mean I, you know i'm I, i'm like a sledgehammer when it comes to coding like i can make large things generally move in the right direction but like i can't i'm in no way a skilled engineer right. um so i've primarily been in, on the marketing side for probably the past couple of years and then really probably in the past year i've definitely moved more into just strategic like okay what are where does the ship need to point and um and then but that includes a lot of like how do we make sure everybody on the team's happy and has what they need and like that we're building a um a, an interesting place to work on top of that mm -hmm. i think that all plays in that's you know that all uh, works together but with a product but um you know I, I don't spend a ton of time like in sort of like an execution role right I've heard about this with a lot of companies and I've felt it a bit myself, but not, not as much as you have. But what I find is that I'm such a like maker that when I move into this like manager type role, I sort of get kind of unhappy and I, and I don't do it well. And I, I end up gravitating back towards making stuff, even if it's not the best thing for my company, just cause that's what I love doing. Um, yep. do you, do you miss it? Is it, are you still happy in your new role? Yeah. Well, so I, um, so that's why I have all these like hobbies. So I do a hundred other things because like, I still need, you know, I like, got my core, I have to be making something. Yeah. Um, and so the way that I balance like being in this sort of CEO role is to also have like an extensive number of hobbies. Um, so I, I'm, I miss it 
well, no, okay, I take that back. I don't miss that. I don't have that feeling of me missing something because I'm getting that fulfilled elsewhere, basically. Yeah. Um, so, what is yeah, your the company where you do the like concrete stuff? Is mm -hmm. that what it is? What's that called again? Yeah, yeah it's called Cedar and Sale. So Cedar it's like home and decor sale. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You have to, you post some some cool pictures of stuff. There's like yeah. you do like concrete like planters and like. Yep, candles and stuff like that. So that's like I get to. Certainly there's a design element there that I enjoy, but there's also just this production side of things that are really just like, you know, that's me going into my garage and like mixing up concrete. And right. You know, like that's this you getting to use my hands a bunch that I don't get in software at all anyways. Like, yeah, you know, it's like even if I was like actually building stuff with bare metrics, uh, I still would have these sort of like hands on hobbies. Just the same way that like people take up woodworking, right? Like, yeah, same thing building something real in the world instead of just like yeah. pushing ones and zeros and right right, yeah. right which i enjoy like there's something still very um uh, fulfilling about like having an idea for some like little app or something and like going and just building it like mm -hmm. that's fun yeah. but um i have to get out of my office yeah you you wrote a lot about failing to sell your company sort of reaching a yep. point of like burnout uh or i don't i don't know if that's how you would describe it but um, at the point where you're like, ah, I kind of want to entertain this now and I'm going to go through this and sort of went through some offers and it all fell apart. Um, yeah. I mean, people can read the article if they want all the details, but maybe give me a, a quick synopsis for those who haven't read it. Yep. Yeah, so, um, back in, I guess, April of this past year, 2019, um, I had not been entertaining any offers. I mean, it's regular, it's, it's common to get people who are like, Hey, would you ever want to sell the company? So usually I would say no, but this particular point in time, I was feeling pretty stressed, burnout, depressed, anxious, all that stuff. And so I like the timing of that worked out to where I was like, eh, sure. Like, let's chat and see what happens. Um, so went down that route, ended up with a few different offers. And then ultimately like a few weeks before we were supposed to close this is for a $5 million deal. I, they just ghosted us. So, um, yeah, those which guys you, suck. Which uh -huh. you've since found out is a, is pretty common, right? Right, yeah. So yeah. that was what was super interesting about even talking about this stuff in public at all was that I in, ended up with an inbox full of dozens and dozens of other founders who have had extremely similar experiences. So, right. Which is which like that's it's lame that that, that that's uh, that it's so common, like there that there's so many crummy humans, but I don't know, also at the same time, like at least I'm not like some weirdo who's like, so completely flawed in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've gotten emails before and it's like, it, it's just very clearly not going anywhere and probably some type of person who just wants to see my financials. Sure. And, but, but the, you know, yours obviously were a lot more legit looking. And I, I mean, what do you think if you had to do it again, you know, what, what did you learn through that process? Um, I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot like, it's one of these things where I certainly there were things that situationally I could have done differently um, in that, hey, maybe we could have, like, required a, a, some sort of, like, breakup fee um, as part of the, the letter of intent that, that we signed or um, required references from them, like, from people that they had acquired before or something like that. Like, there are lots of these things that you could do that, in hindsight, would have um 
prevented some like some some heartache throughout the process but at the same time there's there's a element of risk period right like there's plenty of you know even these huge companies where like they'll they'll do these massive billion dollar acquisitions where the ultimately like even after they've signed even a purchase agreement and things like don't go through like after the fact so i mean there's just risk and there's just people like who even if they just change their mind like in that, our specific case like if somebody wants to change their mind if they had just been like hey like we're just not interested anymore like for whatever reason we're just not interested that's fine like that was perfectly okay they were within their rights to do that mm -hmm. but they didn't and so it's like it's i think where it gets really crummy is when people when people like just don't have decency um, yeah and that's where i think it burns a lot of people is like it's already like this very emotional process and um and so when one side's like just being like used cars salesman sleazy like that's not cool yeah how long was this process from start to finish? So from the from the time in April that we got that sort of first offer that kicked off a bunch of other stuff. Like that was, let's see, April, May. It was four months, four or five months of like me only really being focused on that. Like, right. Yeah. So that's draining. It's a... Uh... I mean, I, I haven't gone through that, but even just like selling my house was like so right. stressful. <laughs> and I can imagine yeah. with a business, it's like, right. oh man, just the ups and the emotional ups and downs you must have gone through during that period. And then for it all to fall apart, it must have just been just draining. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think like when you're selling a house, you know, like the, the, the buyer can be like, ooh, okay, I know we said we were going to buy it at this price, yeah. but because <laughs> X, Y, or Z came back in the inspection, we want to knock, you know, $10,000 off of that. It's yeah. like that, but, you know, multiplied times 10. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's, a, and it's, then it's after very similar. And then after doing all of that, if you're like just waiting for the closing docs and you're like, haven't heard from them. And yeah. a week later, I still haven't heard from them. Like, what? You've, you've like, you've like, started packing already like that was yeah. like i had mentally started packing up the company right and uh and then there's like oh yeah no that's not gonna work yeah. Dang it. <laughs> yeah so how was how did you get yourself back in the mode of like okay i'm now i'm like gonna be with this company for probably a long time because i don't want to go through this again anytime soon right um i think so so the way that my head works is uh, i can very quickly get into a mental state sort of where I, I can um, accept that a certain thing is going to play out or not play out. Like once I feel like I know the, the, the potential outcome, then I just, I'm all there. So in this case, after I realized like, okay, we've gone through this whole process and this is not going to work, then like, let's just get back to building the company. So um, that was not, I mean, I, I think for like, I don't know, 24, 48 hours, I was like bummed. And then after that, it's like, all right, well, like what, what? It's, it will serve no one for me to like sit here and just wallow in this for weeks or whatever. So, you know, I got right back at it. Yep. Um, you, you mentioned that you talked to some other founders in your article um, and they kind of gave you some sage advice. What was, what was some of that wisdom? I mean, I, I think a lot of it's um, other founders sort of, I mean, it's all more of like, um, having knowing that other founders have like gone through that process and like i advice around like um 
things that would be red flags or um or just knowing that like like that it's a full-time job to sell a company like you won't be able to do anything else which is very true um sanity check kind of stuff really yeah okay um so you talked about an asset sale versus a stock mm-hmm. sale um you know obviously we don't have to go super deep into it because people can read the article on bearmetrics.com blog um but you mentioned you would have walked away with about 1.4 million after everything was said and done for a five million dollar purchase price which you said you, you didn't really realize that at first right in a, in a in an asset sale in yeah. an asset sale right right and then how and then so how is that different from a stock sale so it depends on how your business is structured um so in our case we're a c corp so we have stock that gets issued and in that case the the u.s government has um a little not loopholes not the word but like a, a thing in place from a tax perspective that lets you so, so the government's going to tax anything that it can. And in an asset sale, an asset is the same thing as like you sell your car or you sell a house or you sell your refrigerator, whatever. It's a thing that somebody sells and then you have to pay taxes on, on your profits from that essentially. So in an asset sale, you, um, you, know, you get paid $5 million, $1 million, whatever. The government's going to take, uh, depending on your tax bracket, 30% of that essentially um however in a stock sale the government's trying to like um like encourage people to hold on to stock in a company for at least five years and then there'd be some benefit for them doing that for them holding on to that as you know some sort of investment or or just to start companies things like that so in a stock sale they say okay cool you sell that stock and we will not tax you for it. I mean, like it's that simple, and it's fantastic. Now yeah. you go, you go over ten million, and there's like there's uh, I think there's like a sliding scale of how much it gets taxed. It's still not as bad as um, an asset sale. So, uh, so in my case, doing the stock sale meant that I wouldn't get well, I would get taxed on a state level like five percent or something because the state of Alabama doesn't recognize this little tax thing. Um, but past that still 5% is better than like 40 something percent that I would have ended up with in an asset sale. Yeah. Which is crazy. Insane. But it doesn't work like that doesn't, uh, like that won't work with something like an LLC or something where you don't have issued stock and you have to have held on to it for at least five years. So there's a lot of sort of, um, qualifiers there, but if you meet the criteria, it's fantastic. So what, what does this change for you going forward? Are you, are you still going to be like, okay, I, you know, I, I don't want to sell now. I don't want to go through that again anytime soon, but there probably will come a time eventually where that's, that's on the table again. Um, so what are you going to do differently? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think there's so many scenarios where, um, it kind of depends on the motivation at the time. So, and, and like how you approach that. So, in this past scenario, it was like, okay, I'm just ready to get out. Like, I'm, I'm ready to move on mentally because that's where I happen to be at. Um, so that was one set of motivations. But like, say you've got a motivation where it's like, hey, somebody um, wants to acquire the company, and like the who it is or the company that it is would be a really interesting place to work or whatever. Or like, 
what comes with that, whether that's like some sort of job offer for me or something became really interesting. Then like that changes sort of how you approach things. But at the same time, I'm you know, not in any way like interested in looking to sell the company at the moment. Um, I won't be, I'm not going to be like 90 and still running metrics. <laughs> yeah. So there's a line somewhere. I don't know where it is and I'm not like looking for it right now. Um, so I don't know as far as what I would do different. I mean, like there's just stuff around, you know, making sure that whoever it is, that's making an offer is, um, not a crummy human being. Right. I saw at a conference, I saw a talk on a broker who does acquisitions. He, yeah. yeah. Um, he sounded pretty legit. Do you, would you consider using a broker? We used a broker. Oh, you did. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. And it's still full apart. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like that's like, the broker does the broker prevents stops a lot up front. Like we weeded out all sorts of people who were just like poking around. Um, but at the end of the day, like if someone you, you can't like stop someone like you, there's you can't do like a character check to prove that someone is of decent moral character. Right. There's no like test for that really. Um, yes, I think like probably something like references from prior acquisitions would probably give some insight into that kind of stuff. And then putting like more of these like hard checks in place of, you know, if you do this, then there's going to be a, there's going to be a fee for it or a penalty or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know for better or worse. Like I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt and that kicks me in the pants sometimes. Um, but most of the time, like I'd, I would rather, I would rather approach like most business stuff that assuming that the other person on the other side, like is decent. Um, and sometimes they're not going to be decent and like, okay, but I'd rather not assume that everybody's out to get me all the time. Yeah. That's just in general, kind of a terrible way to live. It seems like, right. It's just like, uh, I don't want to like constantly be like, you know, worried and be cynical about everything. Like, man, whatever. Like I'll get screwed over sometimes, but I'll also like for the most part, enjoy life. Yeah. So did you guys end up in the hole, like a bunch of legal fees and broker fees and um, so the broker fees would only come if we had closed on the deal. So I was out zero on that. Um, but lawyer fees, like close to 20,000 that I had to eat. Now, that being said, like that, um, the diligence process ultimately resulted in like me being a very organized person. Like we've got all of these documents that a lot of them I had not touched since like 2013. And now they're like all very well organized. So right. <laughs> So your taxes are like, you're like on point for taxes. Everything is right right where it needs to be. (laughs) So, um, and in the future, like, you know, again, again, I will not be 90 and still running bare metrics, uh, whether it's five years, 10 years, I don't know, however long it is, like, but that stuff's, we've done a lot of the work anyways, and it's just sitting there. So yeah, it's all. What have you, so I'm changing gears a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. What have you seen change in the SaaS landscape, uh, you know, related to analytics or not? Um, since you guys started bare metrics, how many years ago? So it's 2013, so a little over six years, six years. What have you seen that has changed in that time? Um, I think in general metrics are a commodity now, like, you know, Stripe, Braintree, Recurly, all these payment processors, um, have on some level, some analytics or some graphs at the very least. Um, this was not the case six years ago. Um, but even then it's like, they're, that's not their core competency, like at all. So, you know, it's like, you can get, there's 
Stripe has an MRR figure. They've got a churn figure. Like, but they're mathematically wrong. I mean, like, <laughs> really? We've, yeah, yeah. Like, they're they're just incorrect. And um, and we've had like over and over again. People are like, why is it this? It's like, well, because they're not. They're like not including the thousands of edge cases that affect those things, you know. And uh, and that's fine. Like again, like this is like they're just they're able to like tack on things that add some value for people just from a high level. Like it's better than nothing, but at the same time, it's still not accurate. So, um, you know, we're able just to to like the way that we're sort of fighting the the fact that metrics are a commodity now is like adding on the additional tools and like giving you deeper insights that you're not going to be able to get via Stripe or anybody else really. So that's, I think that's the big sort of landscape shift there is that a thing that before we could just sell is like, Hey, your only other option here is like a spreadsheet or to like build something yourself. So like now that's not enough, like because you can get it in a lot of different places. Um, so now you have to add a lot more value, which is great for everybody. I mean, like that's good for the customer like, to be able to get more value, but that's certainly been a shift. Yeah, yeah, because I just just seeing some charts in Stripe like doesn't necessarily give you any actionable information about your business, which I, th I think sure. is what you guys kind of focus on. Right. So it's like knowing your MRR, okay, fine, but like what's more interesting is like well the MRR of different customer segments, like your US versus you know, European customer base or customers on this plan versus that plan or like, like there's so many different ways that you can and should dig into the data that just like having this like high level dashboard isn't, it feels good to look at that stuff, but it doesn't actually give you anything meaningful. Yeah. And I, and I like that you guys are always digging into your own data because it pertains to your business and it's your, it's your core competency. And it's, you guys are always going to be a step ahead. I feel like of even a big company like Stripe, just because that's not what they're focused on and it never will be. Yeah. So, um, so what's coming up next for you guys? Do you have any big features planned or big moves coming? Yeah. 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 Um, I, so for us, it's like, keep continuing to expand on the, the, how do we become this sort of suite of tools to help your company versus just a dashboard of numbers. Um, so, and that's the motivation for things like the recover feature, cancellation insights, and we've got a number of other things coming in the next few months around that. So yeah, that, that, like that, that's sort of the general direction is like, um, how do we, how do we give context to data, right? Instead of just like looking at a number, like what is, why is the number what it is and how do you affect it? And so that drives a lot of like how we approach what to build and when to build it. Well, awesome. Um, is there anything else we didn't cover that you want to mention or you want to just tell people where to, where to find you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so bearmetrics.com or shoot me an email, Josh at bearmetrics.com. But not a ton of technical support email though. Do not send me technical <laughs> support. Not because I don't want to hear it, but because I cannot help you. I promise. <laughs> um, or uh, on Twitter at Spigford. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being here. And, uh, Looking forward to seeing what comes next from Bear Metrics. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott.